I guess it comes down to like personal branding, you know, just like random or it's stuff that you wouldn't really want an employer to see. I think you just have to be aware that people will probably be looking if it's out there, that it's always kind of good to Google your own name regularly, see what kind of comes up so that if an employer does that when you're applying for a job, you get a sense of what they're looking at. Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the student lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This podcast is brought to you by Feed Ignite. Welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast. My name is Stephanie and I'm an LLB student at Birkbeck, University of London. Today, I'm joined by Eloise Skinner, an associate at US law firm Cleary Gottlieb. Alongside Eloise's successful career in law, she is also passionate about personal development and well-being. As a result, Eloise is a published author, releasing her first book, The Junior Lawyer's Handbook, in 2019, and teaches yoga in one of the most prestigious yoga studios in London. In this episode, we will be discussing study skill tips, Eloise's journey into the legal industry, training contract applications, and of course, her passion for personal development and well-being. Without further ado, welcome to the student lawyer, Eloise. It's great to have you here. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being a guest. We're really excited to have you here today. We've got lots of questions, so I'm going to get straight into it. When was it that you decided to pursue a career in law? And what was the reason behind your decision? Yeah, so I was always one of those people at interview that was like, I've always wanted to be a lawyer. Like, I think it said that on my cover letter for like every job application I ever did. Like, I've always dreamed of becoming a lawyer. Like, I know everyone says that. Um, I actually did always kind of want to be a lawyer. Like, I've never really had any other real career, like a sort of solid career ambition. When I was quite a lot younger, I thought maybe I'd go down like the music college route because I was quite a musical kid growing up. Um, But pretty soon I thought like around 15 or 16, I was pretty much like, yeah, I think I want to be a lawyer of some description. Um, And I didn't really know what kind of, I sort of had this um, vague idea of what lawyers did I had actually been in court as a witness to like a traffic uh, a traffic incident so I kind of had seen what barristers did so I sort of thought maybe that would appeal um, and then I thought maybe I would be a family lawyer and and that kind of morphed over time and with work experience and stuff into wanting to be a corporate lawyer um, and ended up in corporate tax so that was kind of the journey and then I guess the reason I wanted to well I think lawyer is like one of those things that people like people think is a really sort of uh it has like a quite good reputation as a career so people feel quite comfortable in saying like I want to be a lawyer because it sounds kind of like well that's intellectual and it's impressive and it's kind of challenging and like probably all of those things attracted me a little bit um right at the beginning when I kind of didn't really know what the job was about and then over time it was sort of a matter of figuring out what my skills were like what I was best at naturally without having to really work like so hard for it like what were my natural abilities and then matching those onto a job that kind of supported them so I was always really really into like reading and writing and presenting and like talking through my ideas and explaining concepts and all of those things were like sort of lent themselves to a career more like law whereas like I really struggled with stuff like 
chemistry, <laughs> like maths and that kind of thing. Um, so all of my skills sort of matched on a little bit to this, to this job that was very fundamentally focused in like using language and expressing concepts and interpretation and analysis and like that, that sort of thing. So yeah, that was a long story, but basically uh, I sort of thought maybe I wanted to be a lawyer and then actually found that my skill set matched pretty well, like on the journey. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, you know, when you do say lawyer, I want to become a lawyer. There's so many things that you can you can do with that, you know, solicitor, barrister, any other kind of legal professional. So I think that's why it's so important to kind of like get yourself out there if you do think that you have an interest in it and do lots of work experience. So yeah, I agree. I think actually like it's so difficult to know until you've done work experience. Like it's so difficult unless like you've got a lawyer in the family, which I didn't have growing up at all. So I only really had this idea of what a lawyer did from like, like seeing it on TV or like what this one time that I was in court and I had this like glimpse of maybe what would, but that again, like you said, that's such a small part of what legal professionals and like you said, maybe even not a solicitor or barrister, but like something else in the legal environment or world. Like it's such a small fragment that you get to see and it's so hard to get an idea even if I told you like what I do in a day, it kind of doesn't really give you a sense of what it would be like for you to do that job and, unless you've done like work experience, which like, yeah, I would say work experience was the most like fundamental thing that enabled me to see what kind of skills I'd need. And like I started off trying to get work experience literally anywhere like I worked in like a high street, so, like just my local solicitors, which were doing kind of all sorts of just everyday kind of wills and probate and um, bits of family law and like pretty much whatever would come in come their way from like the local area and that was where I started and then I kind of like built up from there but I think that was really really important like that was a good first step yeah I think that you know even if you are watching for example suits on tv and you think yeah I really want to work in a city law firm like that definitely getting work experience in the high street uh, law firms I think it's a fantastic thing to do because you can you can try it out then and then be certain that that kind of um that kind of career isn't right for you um, yeah. yeah I think that's really great advice yeah 100% what advice would you give to somebody who aspires to go to Oxford or Cambridge University um yeah it's a it's an interesting one like I really didn't think that I was going to end up at Cambridge at all like I wasn't the kind of person that was like this is my goal and I want to get there. So I never really had it as an ambition, like specifically in my mind. I kind of thought, um, so I was actually at sixth form in Cambridge, um, like sort of down the road from a lot of Cambridge colleges. And like I said, I was at that time, I was like really musical and I, I was in this like chamber choir and we would like go around and sing in all the Cambridge colleges. So I'd like been around a little bit in the town and also been in the environment. And I thought like, well, it's only one place on a UCAS form. So I'm going to like, my other ones were like London universities. And then I had a few like around the country. And I just thought, well, it's one space, like might as well put it down. Like the worst that's going to happen is that you're not going to get in. And like I, more than anyone else ever, <laughs> was like so surprised that I got in. Yeah, so it's, it's hard to say like, I didn't really have a set of specific skills um, that I was like trying to develop for myself. But what I would say looking back is that almost similar to like a job application, I guess, is it's it's like a collaborative partnership, right? When you apply for anything, it's kind of like you're trying to sell yourself. And I think that's the element that most people focus on when they're applying for a job or when they're applying to like get into uni, like you're trying to like show that you're good enough to be there. But it's also like a two-way thing where like 
you're trying to show them that you're good enough, but you're also trying to show them that like together you're going to be a really good fit. So what they're looking for is not necessarily like the best interview performance ever, but like a person that's going to grow and work really well within the culture of that environment. They're going to be able to respond to the kind of like intellectual demands of that environment. A person that is going to be like in the longer term, a really successful student and do really well for the college. So I'd say going into it with the perspective of like, you want to understand the structure of the university and what makes it different to other universities and you want to understand the college structure and why that appeals to you and why that would be a good fit for you and your skills and your abilities and then you want to understand that particular college and why that college and why not others and like all of those things kind of build up to give you a sense of like this is the place where I should be not just for me but because like I'm bringing you a benefit as well like I'm trying to get in but I'm also like trying to build some kind of collaboration between us if that makes sense yeah absolutely I think what the best thing to do is kind of like take yourself out of the equation for a little bit and really really understand why it is that you want to go to that university is it right for you are you right for them do your research and then kind of like go from there if it's a good fit hopefully you get in if not you know I'm sure that anywhere else would be just as lucky to have you or you'll just be as lucky to have them. Yeah, exactly. And like, it's so hard to think that way when when you're going through the process because you kind of think like a lot of people have this idea of their perfect uni, whether it's like Cambridge or Oxford or somewhere else, that they're like, this is it. This is like the dream. And at that point, maybe that's your first opportunity of like really trying to get something and it might not work out. And then I think the, the like the kind of danger there is that you think, well, I'm not good enough when actually, well, firstly, the application process to anything is obviously like not really reflective of you as a human being. It's kind of just like a situation that you were in and maybe there were there were lots of other factors that were out of your control. And then, like you said, it's like, it's a matter of, is this going to work out? Like together, is it going to be the best thing for us, like for, for both of the parties in that equation? And they're kind of like, they're looking to support you as well. So, you know, everyone wants like a good outcome whether that's you finding a university that's like better suited to you or you coming into that university or you know so it's yeah it's hard not to see it as like a comment on your abilities but I don't think it necessarily is that yeah I agree so you figured out which university you want to go to you've been accepted What advice could you give to students who are looking to make effective use of the summer break before going into the next year? Yeah, that's interesting. Someone messaged me the other day um, on Instagram being like, I'm starting at Cambridge um, next, like in September. And I'm like, I'm nervous that like, what should I be doing to prepare? Like, what should I be doing to get ready? And I think the feeling before, I remember that summer really well before you start uni. And especially if you're going to a uni that you feel like, oh God, I might be a bit out of my depth, which is exactly how I felt like going to Cambridge. You kind of get this sense of like, oh no, everyone's going to be really ahead of me. And like, I need to do loads of catching up or like, I'm really nervous. And you spend a lot of time like sort of hyping yourself up about it. And I think like maybe your energy, like maybe to some extent like that feeling is a little bit inevitable because university is like such a big thing um, for everyone to like make that step it would be good to spend some of your energy at least kind of just doing rational like planning so whether that's like looking on the like 
university reading list, seeing what you should be reading and then like structuring your reading over the summer so it doesn't feel like a massive panic towards the like towards the date when you're getting ready and then just doing like practical things like making sure you're like ready to move out and like you know do you have all the stuff that you need and like sort of thinking ahead to like what would be helpful getting hold of your books maybe having a flick through like reading that might come up in the first couple of weeks just so that you feel not even stuff that you necessarily need to do but if you're someone who like me feels very anxious about uncertainty in some circumstances it can give you peace of mind just to be a little bit over prepared so I would say if you have time and if you want to and if you feel like you know it would be a good thing for you to like good use of your time and energy um, just to get a little bit ahead of like your reading, like your textbooks, the curriculum to see what kind of what might be coming up and just get a bit familiar with that. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. I think definitely practicing something before you start doing it kind of like takes away that uh, fear aspect of it. Mm. I started university last year, so I've just finished my first year. I was uh, 28 when I enrolled. And so I was out of education for like 10 years, maybe a little bit more. And I was incredibly nervous before I started. So during the summer, I attended things like study skills workshops at the university um, and kind of I tried to get myself prepared from that. Mm. It absolutely did help because, you know, I um, learned how to structure an essay properly, all these kind of like basic tips and advice that I think are, you know, crucial for students and anybody to kind of like familiarise themselves with. Was still very nervous when I joined. I think I remember rushing to uni on <laughs> during my first um, week and almost throwing up in the toilet. But you know, at least I knew how to write an essay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think like it's a good point because everyone is going to feel like every absolutely everyone is going to feel a little bit nervous at least starting university because it seems like such a huge thing and it is like a big like it's the beginning of a big journey and it's a massive shift from pretty much anything you've done before probably um and so yeah like you said I think like part of it is about sort of embracing the nerves and like letting that be kind of like excitement like using those nerves to kind of get you into a mood of like excitement and anticipation and like channeling that energy into like preparing the best that you can and then just throwing yourself in when you get there and kind of knowing how to use that like excited nervous energy and then, like you said, the other part of it is doing like preparation, study skills, whatever you like, getting sort of your equipment ready and getting your like strategy ready in your head. And the other thing that I found really helpful when I started uni, and obviously this isn't possible for everyone, but it's just like knowing the town a little bit, because I feel like to make such a huge dramatic shift in your educational environment, like it helps to have some level of familiarity with something so whether that's even just like knowing the local coffee shop or like wandering around the town like if it's if it's a university that's local to you like maybe you go up and just like hang out there for a day with your friends like the like the summer before if you have some time and just wander around and get a feel for it and I think that knowing your like surrounding circumstances can be a little bit like reassuring when it comes to freshers week yeah yeah I agree what are your top tips for getting a first or a triple first in your case at university? But before you start, please tell me what is a triple first? <laughs> well, a triple first is kind of a contentious um, like heading because it's something that like with Cambridge University, um, they often have their own like ways of like their own terminology, like weird kind of things. And it means something different for like other universities. I think it might mean something different at Oxford. 
Um, but at Cambridge, it means a first in every year of the tripos. So like every year of your degree, like first year, second year and third year. And then, yeah, that's sometimes called a triple first, which I'm quite mentioned to people so that we can come very smart um <laughs> but um yeah I don't know like to be honest I do think part of part of the reason I did say well was because law is an extremely good fit was a very good fit for me as a subject and it wasn't necessarily that like I'm exceptionally like you know intelligent or that I have skills that were above anyone else's but just that like the way my mind works is very like well suited to legal analysis and especially in an environment that's like quite well structured and well organized and had like very specific things that you needed to do. Those are the environments that I really succeed in. And it's actually one of the reasons that I chose law in the first place is like, it's quite a structured thing to like get your head around. There are rules, there are regulations. Yes, there's like interpretation, but there is a framework that you're working with. And that's kind of what really attracted me to it. Um, so yeah, like to some extent it was just like a matter of fitting myself into a degree that worked really well for me. And then the other thing was, um, well, hard work, <laughs> like for three years. Um, and then I think one really, really key thing for me, like succeeding, especially in an exam context was really trying to understand what was being asked of me. And that's a skill you need to have as a lawyer as well. Because if an examiner is asking you a question, there's almost like a lot, I think a lot of people just want to either show off everything, like all of their knowledge that they could possibly put down in an hour, um, or they only know a certain part, so they're kind of meander towards that and try and make the question like about that. And I think probably what I had was a broad enough knowledge through just lots of hard work and revision to deal with the question. And then the ability to really understand like what the question was asking. And I would always like answer the question in like such precise terms. And that was like one of the things that I think I had feedback on that people said was really good. That was like responsive to what was actually being asked. And then if you think about that in a legal kind of context, it's kind of this element of commercial awareness. So as a lawyer, you're being asked a question. But then you have to think, like, what are you actually being asked here? Because you, you might be being asked about law and you could tell the client exactly what the law says. But what are you really being asked? Like, then you have to look one level deeper and be like, actually, the client wants to know how this piece of law will affect them in their business. And so that's this other layer of, like, seeing the question and then being able to say, like, okay, here's an answer that actually answers what you've asked, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. What um what optional modules did you decide to take in in first, second or third year, if you can remember? Oh can I even remember? Um so I think first year was all like compulsory stuff. And then second year, so second year was the year where I wanted to do family law. Like I thought I wanted to be a family lawyer. That was in my second year of uni. Um so I took family law and I took something else oh I think like maybe criminal like evidence or something like something along those lines um and family law was like a big focus for me that year and I did like a few family law vacation schemes and then by my third year I was moving more into like the corporate side of things and moving a little bit away from family so I did like corporate law and administrative law and then criminology which had always just really interested me like I always just found the psychology of um sort of the way that legislation was formulated like that was really interesting so yeah it kind of reflected a shift in interest I think from family to more corporate over time but right I see 
What was your training contract application journey like? What advice can you give to student lawyers who are currently making applications? Um, yeah, so like I said, with the like shift in interests, I had, so I had three years really, well, three years of university. The first year, you don't really do much in terms of applications. Like I think I went to, that was kind of when I was doing more um, like high street work experience because there weren't really any now there are more like open days and stuff available to first years which is so cool but like when I was at university it was basically like you weren't really like there was nothing really to do in your first year um so I did like high street work experience and I did like random internships I did one with like the police force and just like anything that was going really in that first year I was like I want to do something that's actually interesting you did with police force as well yeah it was so cool actually I think about this quite a lot like um it was with like a detective unit um at the police force and they were doing just it so I did like a little bit of um experience like with the uniformed officers but then most of my experience was based around like detective work and especially like child abuse investigations which again kind of tied into like my family law interests it was like a fascinating internship actually um but one of the things I that kind of sort of dissuaded me from um applying to go down that route was um the number of years you had to do in uniform which I think is still the case now for the police that you can't really get to the detective levels without having done a number of years in uniform and that is obviously like that's for a reason because they want everyone to experience you know like the they want to have like a like a foundation of knowledge and awareness of what it means to actually be a police officer um but I just didn't think that I was like that well suited to it um and I think I was like though like I had a little bit of fear about doing something like that as well but like so cool as a career like I just have so much admiration for people who have gone like to the kind of yeah down that down that route and then in my second year that was when I started to do my real like real um vacation schemes and I did, what did I do in that year? I think I did like a magic circle uh, firm, a silver circle firm and a family law firm. And my focus was like 100% family law. And I did that one last. So I didn't end up applying, like going down the training contract route for any of them because I was so sure that like family law was my thing. And then I did that one last and I was like, oh no, <laughs> like, I don't know if I really want to do this. And then I had a little bit of a crisis where I was like thinking about just applying for other training contracts that year. And then I thought like, I'll just wait one more year and do more experience, like more, um, what are they called? Vacation schemes the following year. So I went back to uni in my third year. And then in my third year, I did like a US law firm. Um, first day I do in my third year, uh, just another silver circle law firm. I remember if I did another one that year I did a couple more like uh, vacation schemes in that final year and that was when I applied for my training contract <laughs> so what does um, the day-to-day life of a corporate taxation solicitor look like and uh, why were you especially attracted to this particular practice area um so yeah I think with the attraction thing, it probably ties into what I was already saying about like liking to have a lot of organization and structure. Like tax is quite a legal area of practice. There's like a lot of law, obviously, um, and a lot of guidance and a lot of regulations. And it's really a matter of interpreting them and kind of being able to analyze them and then apply them to a corporate situation, like a deal or a transaction. And I think that's what I really like about it is the kind of structure that you can kind of work with and get to grips with. 
And then in terms of um, an average day, yeah, I mean, it's quite, I don't want to say like, it's unexciting because it is exciting, but it's not like, it's not like, (laughs) it's not like dramatic. Um, So there are just a lot of emails, lots of calls, like um, at the moment, obviously it's like, it's even less dramatic than a normal solicitor's day. Um, because you're just like at home doing emails and calls all day. Um, but like when we're back in the office, it might be like, you know, a morning of emails and then like a conference call or a meeting with a client. And, you know, you might go to another law firm offices and you might, um, I don't know what else you do, kind of do a presentation or like go to a talk or something. But I would say like, um, it's probably tax, like, and the specialist practice areas are probably ones that are less like, you're not really um, traveling around a huge amount. Like there's not amount of, there's not a huge amount of like global travel for deals because that tends to be, well, that's kind of being, I guess, maybe questioned now in the current environment anyway. But if it is international travel, it tends to be like the deal team that do that. And then I think the legal profession is glamorized quite a lot, but there's just a lot of like reading, (laughs) a lot of reading and like analyzing. And so I think like it suits someone who is very like focused on kind of that, that kind of thing. And then for people who are more, um, who need more of like an interpersonal, like who want to be in the negotiations, who want to be like in court, who want to be always working with other people like face to face and kind of like in that more contentious environment, maybe um, other departments like litigation or competition might be like more well suited to that kind of thing. So I know that um, commercial lawyers and, um, you know, people that work with contracts often have to pull like all nighters when they're coming close to closing a deal or something like that. Is that um, similar to corporate um, taxation lawyers, would you say? Yeah, Um, yeah, like to some extent, I think probably um, like the teams that really go through that pattern of like up and down and up and down to like the real extremes are probably the the ones that are most closely um, working on the deal. So like the corporate team or the finance team or the um, M&A team, like whoever it is that's actually running the day-to-day kind of mechanics of the deal. And then teams like tax or employment or yeah, like other kind of uh, specialist areas of law, um, like IP, for example, we tend to be like integrated into the deal, but our advice tends to be less urgent. So it's quite rare that there's like, an, like not completely impossible, but quite rare that there's an urgent tax issue that's like holding up the deal at 3am. Like it does happen and has happened a number of times, like during the time that I've worked um, at the firm, but it's probably less like a day-to-day occurrence than having like a very urgent corporate issue. Um, and so our advice tends to be more, yeah more analytical more like not considered but like you know um spend we spend a lot of time like thinking about our issues and sometimes they're written up into forms like memos or opinions or letters rather than sort of being in the day-to-day like just like immersed into the actual mechanics of the deal um but yeah there's a mix like I think if you're working in a corporate law firm you're going to get a little bit of sort of time difficulties like regardless of what department you're in yeah, it's not like the hours are not nine to five <laughs> by any means. Yeah. What's it like working in a US law firm? Yeah, it's hard. Like it is because um, we were talking before and about like this, about the concept of like a US firm. And um, I was saying that I haven't really had experience anywhere else. Like I've obviously had like a number of vacation schemes at other firms. 
Um, but I've never worked at a UK law firm. So I guess my experience is just, just that of, of the kind of US law firm in London. Um, and I spent a little bit of time in New York as well. And I'd say kind of the features of it are small, like small teams. Um, so whereas you might be like, there might be a hundred trainees in a magic circle firm, for example, um, there were only eight like in my intake. So it was a very small, like very small numbers, very small group. And that kind of goes two ways. It means like you have a lot of responsibility and you get a lot of, um, sort of recognition for your work and you get a lot of opportunities very, very early on. And then the kind of flip side of that is that, um, you also like with responsibility comes like uh, a lot of attention on your work and a lot of focus and people know who you are and sort of there's less scope to kind of if you're someone who's looking to sort of like blend in a little bit and, and um, work as part of a big team it's a lot more exposed than that so there are kind of two ways like there are good sides and there are sides that are more challenging one of the biggest things I think that US law firms are like having to sort of bring to their trainees is the level of training and learning and development that you get at a bigger um, firm. And that's just a product of not having, not having as many people in a team that are able to train the trainees um, and not having as many people in the team that are able to do like learning and development. So for example, at a magic circle firm, you might have a specialized person in a department like tax who does knowledge management and training and they'll, you know, organize training sessions and stuff. Whereas, um, at least my experience and, and I think similar to a lot of other US law firms is that the training is a little bit more like on the job. <laughs> so you're kind of working out things for yourself. There's not necessarily like a structured environment for like learning and development, but it's more like you just get a lot of experience very fast and then it's up to you to kind of assimilate and take that information and kind of grow from it. So I'd say it suits a certain kind of personality and I think it's really helpful to be able to do, like coming back to the idea of work experience, if you're thinking US law firm or Magic Circle firm, for example, then it's really, really helpful to be able to get into both of those environments and actually see what it feels like for you. Because I guess you might think that you're, you know, a certain kind of, like you want to work a certain kind of way, but until you've had like the challenges or you've had the environment around you, it's quite difficult. Like I definitely have found it difficult to know what exactly it is that you really need to like do your best work. So yeah, it's a learning process. And again, like, I don't think it's necessarily the case that um, it's kind of like university, actually. It's not like you need to choose one firm and that needs to be perfect and you'll be there for life. I think it feels a little bit like that when you're applying for training contracts, but you know, it's a long career and there are lots and lots of different firms out there. And I think if you feel like you've ended up at the wrong place, like, it's not necessarily that you're stuck there forever and it's not necessarily that, you know, you've now put your career in a certain trajectory that you just have to blindly follow for the next like 50 years, but more just like everything is a learning experience. So you just go into that place, like you make the most of the opportunities that you have right now and you see what you can learn and take from them. Yeah. Did you secure a um, training contract at that firm during your first application round? Yeah, so it's actually the only place that I went through a full um, training contract application process with. And yeah, I think I was on a vacation scheme there. So um, I, yeah, I, I was just um, part of that intake. And I think, again, with a lot of the smaller firms, they will sort of look at their vacation scheme primarily as a way to like 
see which candidates are best. And you can sort of see why that is like vacation schemes are a really good opportunity to assess what a person is going to be like as a junior solicitor. Um, so, yeah. Wow, God, that must have been such an incredible feeling. Did you say they, um, they take on eight, eight people ago? Um, that was my year. My year was incredibly small. I think the years are much bigger now, like the intakes are much bigger now. Um, so yeah, there were eight that kind of went through the process in my year. I think we started out with 10 and then like a few people went to do other things or like moved to a different office, for example. Um, but yeah, we were eight. Um, but I think now the intake is like 16 or something. So it's, it's definitely got bigger over time. Well, yeah, but it's still small. So, God, that, you must have felt so, like, just amazing to get that. Yeah, I think I was relieved. Like, I was so relieved in the end because I'd gone through such a long, like, all of these years of doing different bits of work experience and, like, thinking, will I ever find, like, because I was so sure that I wanted to be a lawyer that it was really, like, disappointing to me in that second year. The first time I tried, like, vacation schemes and when I did my family law experience and I thought, like, oh no, this isn't it. Like I thought this was good. I was so sure that that would be it. And I, I was always the person that was like, oh, my career is like, I know what I'm going to do. And I like, kind of smug about it. You know, my friends when I was like 16, I was like, I know I want to do this. And it just didn't work out that way. And I think that was like really disappointing for me um, and annoying. Um, and so yeah, in that third year, I was like very, very relieved that I'd like found something that I felt like fit me and like that I could do well at and yes I think it was more like relief than anything I was like thank god (laughs) how do you like to stay up to date with current affairs yeah a couple of ways I guess like so one thing I've done and I've done this since I was like 16 is read a really good quality uh news source every day so I remember when I was like 16 I used to read the times because I thought that was like the best quality journalism you could buy and I'd be on the train to school like I used to commute up to Cambridge and like every day I'd have like 90p which it used to be like back in whatever year that was 2008 I'd like buy the paper and like I'd make sure to actually read it the whole thing like every day and I think like there's a level of like yeah current affairs matter and they probably don't matter that much to like a 16 year old who's like going to sixth form but I think actually what that was the skill that I was getting from that was being able to undertake in and understand a lot of information quite quickly and then to be able to think critically about it so one thing that I would do and this is like I thought about this the other day and I was like why did I start to do that but I actually think this is quite helpful is um I would go through the like newspaper and where there was an opinion piece, I would like rip it out and like review it and like have a read through it. And then I would try and construct the opposite opinion just because just to like test my own critical analysis skills. And then I would try and write something that was like that, but like from the opposite point of view, like regardless of whether I agreed with it or not. And so unintentionally, um, I sort of started to develop those own, like my own skills of sort of, analyzing something seeing it from a different perspective and then really challenging myself to like construct an argument or construct a debate so that was what I was doing then and now I do I guess a similar thing like obviously I don't go through the paper every day but I read the FT like I read the an FT summary of news every single day um, and also a summary from the New York Times just to get like a little bit of an extra perspective I think for any lawyer in a specialist group of practice, you'll be getting like regular updates from like the tax world as to what's going on. So I'll get those um, daily and also like a weekly update that I'll always have a look through. But yeah, I think I probably prefer like going through 
um, news in a, in that kind of methodical way rather than like looking at an app or something because I feel like now there are so many news sources that just weren't around like previously when I was like a student um, like on your phone or like little apps and updates and stuff that you can like get your news off Twitter or whatever and I feel like the current affairs world can be very loud <laughs> and it's sometimes difficult to know a what's a good quality source of news reporting and b what kind of reporting is actually helping you to like build skills of analysis and comprehension rather than just like taking in a whole load of information that then makes you feel distracted or scattered or you know it doesn't really make sense it's not really in a context because it's very hard to like understand and analyze a news report when it's then followed with like some random ad or like some other piece that's like completely unrelated it's like you're busy, isn't it? yeah it's hard to keep focused yeah it's like it's just if your brain I think that's like quite a challenge to be able to navigate like what's important and what's not um so I would say like have a news routine almost like know that you're going to read something every day that's like a good quality source of of news and then just make sure that you're like actually not just taking it in as a passive recipient but you're actually doing something with that information not necessarily like writing an argument against it or whatever but like actually analyzing it in your head thinking like how does this tie in if you're looking at financial news for example you read the market is going down and instead of just reading that and being like oh the market's going down and being like what does that actually mean like what are they talking about what is the market? What does it mean for the market to be like going up or down or moving in any particular way? Like what are the factors that are at play here? You know, and sort of going one level deeper than just like reading a piece of information and, and taking it in. Right. So really kind of like dissecting the story and really finding out what it means. Yeah, 100%. So your website mentions that as a junior lawyer, you developed an interest in personal development. What was it about being a junior lawyer that triggered this? Yeah, I think um, it probably comes back to this um, distinction of being at a US law firm rather than, I mean, maybe I would have felt this way at a UK law firm as well. But I think probably because a lot of like so much of the learning was like self-directed or kind of self-initiated, I probably thought more about my own personal development and what I needed and how I was going to get it and how I was going to make it for myself if it wasn't like handed to me. And I guess that kind of spurred an interest in like maybe writing something for trainees that also didn't have, that didn't feel like they had, they didn't really have information like handed to them on a plate. And so I thought a book like, oh, to come onto the book, I guess, um, that was kind of the product of my interest in personal development was I ended up writing this book about it. And yeah, it's always just been like interesting to me, not just what, like not just the experience that you're having, but the person that you're becoming as a result of that experience. Like that I think has always been really fascinating to me. Just this analysis of like, what's actually going on? Like what skills are you building? Like who are you actually choosing to become as a result of your success or your failure or your resilience or like, this really challenging time that you went through, like what are the, what's actually going on for you? Um, something that I've always been interested in. That's really interesting. I think, you know, we go to work every single day and do the kind of like same old thing without really thinking what is going to happen tomorrow because of what I'm doing today. So I think that's a really, actually really interesting way of putting it and quite eye opening really. 
Yeah, 100%. And I think it can really transform your perspective. And one one area that it's really, really helped me over the years in thinking like that is um, with failure, with like stuff that goes wrong. Because now over time, because I've thought of it this way for so long and like written about this kind of concept of like what failure is and like why and how you should and how you could think about it. Um, I think instinctively now I see failure as an opportunity for growth. Like that is, that is kind of the, like one of the, obviously I still feel like, Oh my God, that sucked. I failed. So that was really bad and feel bad about it. Um, but like my instinct now is like, okay, what is this? Um, like what, what am I learning here? Like what have I learned for next time? And I think if you look back at your own failures and your successes and kind of your story this far, you can normally see that actually your failures are like massive learning curves. Like I can identify like, you know, places in my life where I feel like something's gone really badly wrong and like things haven't worked out the way they have. And then subsequently that spurred me into a whole new like way of looking, way of seeing a new opportunity, like something new that's happened as a result of that thing. So now I think I always see like, you know, those times as, 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 as chances to think about what's actually happening to you on a personal development level. Yeah. You know, as long as you kind of like stop, evaluate the situation and think, what can I do to make this better and, you know, keep on thinking about personal development, you're only going to like succeed because of that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to keep on going and, you know, just strive for success. Yeah, 100%. I think like failure, like even the word failure or like the connotations that come with it is just like a narrative that you can absolutely take control of. So for example, like in my second year of uni, when I thought like, I basically set up my entire career, like all of my university modules to like go for this family law route. And I felt like, oh, I failed there because I didn't pick the right thing. Like it's not, it's clearly like not going to be the right option for me. That's what I felt at that time. And like, I felt like I told everyone that I was going a certain direction and I was going to have to do a massive U-turn and I didn't even know where I was going. And I think from that, like from the ability to really figure out like, you know, what I wanted to do next and what different opportunities lay ahead came a huge amount of personal growth and understanding about actually what I did want and what I did want to do with my life. And I think had I not had that opportunity of like challenge, had it, had it all just been like completely straightforward and easy, I probably wouldn't have learned, you know, nearly as much about like who I was or what I wanted. So, so you mentioned the book, um, so, which takes us on to the next question. Why did you decide to write the Junior Lloyd's Handbook? What, uh, what, can gain, what can readers expect to gain from reading it? Yeah, so I think, um, again, like coming back to this, like, like my interest in personal development, I guess that was kind of the reason for writing it. Um, I had already written, so I'd written like an internal manual, like that we used within the firm that I work, work for which was used to sort of support the trainees and like help them with learning and development. And then I kind of thought, oh, I want this to be like a bigger, I think this could be helpful to more people because I knew that it wouldn't just be our firm, that people were feeling like a little bit like they needed more support or guidance. And I knew there was like a market of other people out there who wanted like something to help them. And I sort of had this idea for it that it would be like, for all sorts of professionals like um sort of anyone who's going into any professional industry who wanted a little bit of transitional support and development 
Um, but then I ended up um, through like a contact um, speaking to the publishing department at the Law Society and they were interested in taking it on there. Um, so then it became a very legal book and it became one of their, like their first actual junior lawyer title, which is kind of cool. And yeah, for people reading it, I think what you can expect is, so the focus is um, really on helping you to bridge the gap between being a student and being a professional. So it's really for law students who, are, who know they want to be legal professionals, junior lawyers, or people just before they start their training contracts. So like people at law school, people on a gap year, people who want to start to prepare. Kind of like we were saying for uni, like what can you do in your summer before? Um, that's a really good time to like read something like this. And then junior lawyers in their first couple of years of their career, I think it, it is designed for as well. And it's kind of broken down into um, things like communication, sort of um, reading, writing, like writing for business, commercial awareness, um, presenting, so like presenting skills and communicating like verbally with other people. Um, it's got stuff on like body language and personal brand, mentoring, networking. It's got um, sort of advice from like other senior professionals in the industry and just lots of very practical things. It's like a, well, it's called a handbook. It's got, I like, really wanted it to be almost like a toolkit that you can like, you don't necessarily need to sit down and read like page one to a page. I don't know how many pages are in it, like a hundred. <laughs> um, I don't know how many. Um, but like you can just dip in and out. Like you can find the bits that are helpful. There are like things like checklists, templates, you know, very like practical tools that you know they can they they can come into your life at one point they might be really helpful and then you feel like you've grasped that particular skill and then maybe you revisit it and use it in a different context and it's kind of just like there if you if you need it it sounds incredibly helpful something that you know anybody can really benefit from at any any stage in their life or career really yeah it's definitely been I think it has been helpful to a lot of people and like and so, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful that I got the opportunity to write it actually and to have it um, and to have the Law Society offer that as well, because I think hopefully, and it's kind of interesting now as I'm speaking to my editor at the Law Society the other day about like what will happen to the training contract now with like sort of remote working and things like that. And I think assistance, transitional assistance from like student to professional, like these skills are going to be more and more important as the contact between lawyers gets like less personal and more like digital. Um, and I think it will be so important for like the next generation of trainees to be able to develop skills by themselves without having a supervisor in the room with them. So hopefully. How did you organize your time um, whilst completing your training contract and writing it? Yeah. So it's, people always ask me about this. I think like it's probably, it's a mix of things. So one thing is like, I pretty, I'd already kind of worked on the concept for a long, long time. So it had been this like internal thing before it became like an actual book. And so for years I'd already been writing the content, teaching the content, you know, within, so I would do like training development, like within the firm. Um, and the other thing is I'd written for publications, like the lawyer magazine for years, like since I was a student. So I was already producing like personal development stuff. So it wasn't like, an, it wasn't, I was, wasn't jumping into a new, uh, genre of writing and then um vacation like I just didn't take a vacation for like four years and just used all my vacation time to write and then the other thing I did was um just have a really like really consistent short regular writing practice so I just like write every morning on the train for 
20 minutes or something. And then on the way back home, I try and maybe do like 10 minutes of reviewing of what I've written. And that's kind of annoying because it's like, oh, you feel like you're not getting anywhere and you just want to be like, I'll just, I just want to like focus on this and do the whole thing at once. But actually, because I didn't have the luxury of time, I was kind of forced to just take it step by step by step. And yeah, just very consistent, methodical, like plodding away. And then suddenly it was done. (laughs) I was just like, oh God, I just wrote a book. It's incredible. I really um, admire everything that you've done. Oh, thank you. Um, So what what are your top tips for journal or article writing? Would it be to, you know, get that 10 minutes in a day practicing? Yeah. So you mean like writing for other publications? Yeah, because you mentioned that you you write for the lawyer and, um, you know, other blogs like that. Yeah. Um, I think actually it's always helped me to, I know people always describe me as like a legal blogger. Um, I've never actually like, well, I've never actually really written about law. I think I've only written like one article about law when I was like um, in 2015 or something. Um, I normally write about things like personal development or kind of like legal skills rather than law. Yeah. Um, and I've never ever had my own blog. So I don't, yeah, <laughs> that is always something that gets um kind of thrown around a bit but I think it depends like your writing style and like writing tips really depend on what kind of writing you're doing so I think if you're writing for external publications they'll often have a style guide that you have to write that you can sort of use to to formulate your tone and the way you kind of talk about things um and the other thing that really helps with external publications is deadlines so they will give you a deadline they'll say like you need to do this by this time and that really has always helped me to be like, okay, I'll actually get it done if I have a deadline. If it was my own blog, I'm not sure if I would ever like have been that consistent with writing and sort of publishing my own stuff. But I always really loved writing for like big publications um, in the legal world. And I think tips, what would be my tips? Tips are like know your subject and be passionate about it. If you're not an expert in something, like, you know, it's very difficult to write to sort of obviously you can give an opinion piece but especially if you're writing on the law if it's not something you know like inside out it's um a dangerous game to like to publish something on the internet because there are lots of experts out there who know their subject matter so i think as lawyers we've got to be like extra careful that the things we're writing about are things that we really understand and that's why i tend to write about well now i'm moving a little bit more into like well-being stuff because of my background in well-being but um but when I, was, when I was starting to write, I would really only write about the stuff that I knew. So I'd write like training contract application tips or like vacation scheme tips and like really stuff that I'd actually experienced myself. And then I felt like I, at least I can offer my experience. That would be helpful. So how is it that you grew such a large uh, social media following? How do you think social media can enhance your career? And is there anything that people should avoid sharing on social media? yeah I mean I have a lot of I have a lot of mixed thoughts about social media um to your first question I I, um I have absolutely no idea so actually social media is just like a complete mystery to me but um things like for example like I've always just felt with things like Instagram and for example TikTok they're just kind of like weird fun things like Instagram is a bit more serious I guess but lately I've been very much enjoying TikTok just as like a complete like just so random and like literally nothing to do with anything just like fun like really pure like fun um and god knows how I've got like just suddenly like TikTok seems to do something weird with the algorithm where they suddenly just give you like thousands of followers and you're like who are these people um 
but I feel like it's fans. It's just like so many random people on TikTok. TikTok is um, just a complete, like, I didn't even, yeah, it's interesting. There are some legal, um, some law students who are doing quite interesting stuff there, actually. So it'll be interesting to see how people, if they do start to use the platform more for like legal education or kind of like, you know, it'd be interesting to see what people do with that. Um, and then Instagram, Instagram I use mostly for um, my like yoga and dance kind of photos rather than anything legal but obviously it is a really good platform where I can share what I'm doing you know like um, about the book or like for example podcasts that I'm on or things like that and I tend to like have those things as just like a platform so if people want to keep up to date with what I'm doing that's kind of where I am most often and then what I would say for students is well I mean it's kind of hard because obviously when I was a when I was applying for uh, university and when I was applying for training contracts I didn't have Instagram or anything I like I didn't have any social media and I think that is like it's not really realistic for people anymore because everyone has social media but what it did mean was that you know what what the law firms were looking at when I applied to them was my CV and what I like because I wasn't like I was just giving them the information and I was totally in control of the information that I was handing over about myself and like what I was saying about myself. Whereas now I think if you have a big social media presence and you're a student who's trying to get your first job, I think it's not to say that you have to like lock down all your social media accounts. Like I wouldn't say that at all. And I think they can be helpful in certain circumstances. But I do think what students have to appreciate is that you're giving, you're basically giving your, uh, your employer a complete opportunity to like review and like take a good look at everything that's on there so like if it's stuff that you're genuinely proud of and you and you think like actually this probably helps my um application and kind of supports me as a person then like 100 go for it like it can be really supportive and impressive i think um but if it's kind of like i guess it comes down to like personal branding you know if it's kind of just like random or it's stuff that you wouldn't really want an employer to see I think you just have to be aware that people will probably be looking if it's out there and um, so yeah I think a little bit of like awareness yeah I think even in the book that I wrote like I wasn't really that I didn't really focus on social media much when I wrote this but um I was saying that it's always kind of good to like Google, Google your own name regularly, see what kind of comes up so that if an employer does that when you're applying for a job, you get a sense of what they're looking at. And if the first or second thing is your Instagram, just click through it and see like, what would I see if I was like an objective observer here? Like, would I see someone who like, is it um, integrated? Like, does it present a comprehensive picture of that person, which is consistent with their application and their interview? Or is it like, I don't even know who that person is. I'm like, I don't really understand what that... And that's not to say you can't have that on social media, but just that, like, you should be aware that that is kind of what's out there. So I think being in control of your own, like, your own internet presence is probably the key thing there of, like, knowing what other people are going to see and then taking ownership of that. So, like, if you're cool with everything that's out there, then that's great. Um, But if you're like, oh, I'm not sure then you could consider, you know, like making your account private or like taking things off that you're not sure about or, yeah. I mean, I do think there's like a right or wrong answer and it's so much harder for students now because there's a real pressure to be like available on on social media as like a law student. There's like a lot of law student 
blogs than kind of um, people doing stuff, like people having legal Instagram accounts, which I think is kind of cool and probably something I probably would have done as well if I'd had Instagram as a student. But again, it's kind of like, it's just like awareness really of like, you know, if that is, that's a part of you that you're putting out there and that becomes a part of your personal brand and then just making sure that, because I talk like, um, and maybe we're going to talk about this in a second as well, but kind of one of the things I'm really interested in is like this integration of the whole person. And I really like the idea of being like a consistent, having a consistent, like a consistent output into the world. So you're, you're doing your application and you're doing your interviews and you want that person to be the exact same person that is also available on like Instagram or social media or whatever. And like, you're just genuine and authentic and there's nothing that you have to kind of like sort of explain away. And I think if you, like I said, if you don't feel like that, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just like awareness is the kind of key, I think. Yeah, I think those are all fantastic points. Do you know what? I think it is quite cool that, you know, most people, well, most people I know anyway, do have Instagram or some kind of social media channel and they are all kind of building their own personal brand. Lots of people have one these days. Um, I just think a really good thing to remember is what you've said really are you going to um, are you going to be happy with what you're building you know, now in five years time, for example? Do you think the clients that you might potentially represent will want to hire you to act as their lawyer? So I think it's you know just kind of like thinking, is this really what I want to portray? Yeah, hundred percent. It's so difficult, isn't it? Because it's like you want to be yourself, but you also like. Like you said, you want to think about like potential clients and what they what they're going to think, and then there's all this pressure to be like you know to be present on social media and to have a kind of certain image and and like you said, you're kind of just you're right at the beginning of your career, like you're still figuring things out yourself. Yeah, I think there's obviously like a distinction between you holding yourself out as a lawyer on a platform and you just kind of doing your own thing on social media, like using a different name, for example. Mm -hmm. I think maybe like one gives you a little, like sort of gives you a little bit more responsibility. Like if you hold yourself out as a lawyer, hi, I'm a future trainee solicitor at this firm. Then obviously then you've linked that firm to you, like in a very direct and kind of obvious way rather than just having like some random name and then doing sort of weird stuff on TikTok yeah. or whatever you're up to. Um, so again, it's also nuance. Like it's such an interesting question. And like, I really, it's interesting as well to see how firms are responding to it because I think the legal industry is changing and the people that are on Instagram at the moment doing like Instagram, um, like legal Instagrams or like legal blogs and stuff. They're also like the lawyers of the next generation and they'll be the partners of the next generation of law firms. And so I think like law firms are now responding. They're a bit more like aware that on, like a lot of law firms are on social media, but you know, they're trying to engage with people in that way. So yeah, it's pretty nuanced, but I'd say, I, th I think what you said was like a really good point of like, you got to think about, yeah, just like awareness and like taking responsibility for what you put out there. And like, I have a, um, <laughs> this is quite funny, but when I started, when my Instagram started getting like a little bit bigger, um, I like went back through all my photos and I was just like deleting ones that I thought were just like pointless or just stupid, um, <laughs> just like random stuff. And um, I always had like a check in my head of like, okay, would I want, like who, who would I be happy with seeing this? Like, am I totally happy for like um, my firm to like view everything on here? And like, yes. 
um, am I happy for all the cl- like potential clients to look at this and, and think that I'm still like, you know, the best professional that I could be like, and then you have to go through and say like, yes, for everything that you put out there. And even to the extent of like, are you fine with like your family and friends seeing like, is there anything that you feel like a little bit uncomfortable with? And then if there is, you know, then it's a decision for you to make whether you want to keep it or whether you want to make it private or like put it on a different platform or something like that. Yeah. But that's oh, a complex world. It's like, it, really is, it really is. So you mentioned um, integration. Mm-hmm. Can you explain your idea of integration? Yeah. So this is like this. So I wrote this on my website like years ago and I haven't really thought about it that recently. Um, but when we were talking before this and we were talking about like potential topics and stuff, it did remind me that actually that is one of the most like fundamental things that I've learned like in the last few years as a lawyer, this idea of like, it's so, and again, not everyone feels this way, but like personally, I felt like it's so important to try and stay integrated or to try and stay like a whole person. So not just like having a successful career or something that looks good on paper, like working at an impressive law firm or whatever, but also to feel like in yourself that you're like being challenged enough mentally that you're getting the kind of interaction and the kind of experience that you need at your job and outside of your job as well, like in your actual life. And then also taking care of like your body and kind of being connected and like present in your body and doing whatever you need to do in your life to kind of give yourself like that sense of like presence and connection and awareness to like being alive in your body. Um, And then like this idea of kind of just self or like purpose and are you connected to that? And are you doing the things that you want to be doing? And so even if your life looks really good in one kind of, specific um aspect on paper like does it actually make for an integrated life like all rounds and I've always liked this idea of like being a whole person so you know you're like you're sustaining an idea of well-being in like all aspects of your life not just like one at the expense of all the others and I think law can be one of those careers that really encourages people to like throw themselves in a hundred percent at the expense of other things like your health or your social life or your family or whatever. And I think maybe now there's a move more towards like being an integrated person, even within the, even within the context of a very challenging legal career. So you're not just throwing yourself in and like forgetting everything else, but you're actually coming into that environment as a person who is also someone who's like present to their own life and their own purpose and thinking about their own personal development and a person who knows what they need to stay well and balanced and it's going to like get that and take it for themselves. Um, and then I think all around that probably makes you a better person at your job. Like this idea, of you, you know, you're uh, an integrated being. You're like, you're fully here. You're like in your life present, not just going through the motions. And I think that probably does make you a more effective lawyer, actually. Yeah, I think so. I agree with you. I think that if you're a very well-rounded person, you can communicate with all sorts of people really, can't you? And mm. it's just really going to help, I think, your personal life and your professional career. Yeah. I've been reading, um, well, not reading, but I've been listening to a book on Audible called Gravitas. Have you heard of it? Yeah, I think so. Tell me what it's about. Well, as, well I've been listening to it on Audible and it's um, really when I've been going to sleep. So um, mm. I have like a sleep timer and usually asleep within like 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, so probably not going to be able to explain it very well, but it just gives you exercises, um, to really kind of like come out of your own comfort zone, if you like, and, and try to be 
you know, a little bit different and try different things, how to communicate with people, how to be more empathetic, just giving you uh, tips and tricks on how to be, well, essentially be a more round, well-rounded person. Yeah, I love I that. I start reading it yeah. when I wake up, yeah, I it up. on Audible because the, um, the, the person who's reading it um, has got a very, very lovely voice and it's uh, quite soothing. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you're very much into well-being. Why and when did you train um, as a monk and had you intended to carry on this career? I say so I um, was trying to remember the other day, like why I initially wanted to do this. Um, I had since university, I think I've been involved in kind of spirituality and I'd um, been involved in like church settings, like from my experience at Cambridge. Um, and then like throughout the years after that, kind of not on a very like serious level, but always wanted to like go a little bit deeper into the spiritual traditions. Um, and I'd obviously done things like training in meditation and yoga and stuff. So I was a little bit like just very curious about what it like, what it, what the different spiritual traditions were teaching. Um, and I am quite an extreme person. Like when I really want something, and I'm, I'm usually like, right, let's go to the extreme version of what I can do here. Um, and so, like, I really wanted to throw myself into spirituality and see like what it actually was that was at the heart of some of these traditions. So I threw again, like I was, it was a uh, connection through a church that I was at in South London. I was introduced to this program that was being run um, in Lambeth Palace by the Archbishop of Canterbury and his kind of team there. We're running like a, um, and are still running now, like a yearly monastic program for just people who were interested in sort of like Franciscan and Ignatian uh, theology, which is more like on the Catholic side of uh, spirituality. But, um, but for kind of like all people um, of the general like Christian tradition to experience a year um I think the like title of the program was something like a year in God's time um and it was essentially like a monastic training program for a year that I did alongside it was like a part-time thing so I did it um alongside work and I used my vacations for like silent retreats and stuff um so yeah it was very cool it was very interesting but um it was a year-long program and obviously you can then go on to become um a member of like an order, like a sort of monastic order, or you can sort of train in different ways to become um, someone who's more involved in like that kind of monastic lifestyle. So yeah, maybe I always say to my parents, like, I'll probably just become a monk at some point. <laughs> They're like, no, don't do it. Um, but yeah, it does really appeal to me. There's something that's very like, I don't even know, maybe this is connected to the things that I've said already of like, I really like structure, discipline, like order, sort of, like a life that's very simple but very methodical like those kind of things have always really really appealed to me um and so like monastic life is actually like really feels quite natural <laughs> to me I don't know if I'm like a natural monk but definitely like living simply living kind of um by set living according to a set of rules essentially sort of in a very um in a very structured environment that was kind of really stripped down to the basics of like, you know, you don't have any, you're, you're not supposed to be like spending money, like unnecessarily, you're not supposed to be like traveling around unnecessarily. You're just sort of really kind of stripped back to these basic principles of life of like, you know, charitable giving and kind of being in community and silence and listening to your body and, you know, these very basic things. Um, so yeah, it was an interesting year. So, 
I mean, I know that you you've mentioned that you know you find well being just like kind of a part of you. Mm. Was it difficult to you know go into this kind of lifestyle coming out of you know a, a fast paced kind of like legal law setting? Yeah, with the monastic stuff. Mm. Yeah, it was the most like it was the most. I don't know if the word is disjointing. Disjointing. It was very. Uh, I don't know what the word is. You know when you have like, like mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, mind blowing. Um, but it was like so because um, the actual time commitment wasn't like it wasn't a huge time commitment. But there were like um, Monday evenings we would have like there'd be kind of like an optional meal and then like a prayer service in Lambeth Palace, which is where the Archbishop of Canterbury lives. Um, and so like I would normally go from like a conference call where I was on the phone with like you know people who are earning millions of like pounds and doing some kind of transaction like with clients or whatever from that to like the floor of a chapel in Lambeth Palace like with the Archbishop of Canterbury yeah. like those two things from like you know from half an hour apart like completely different worlds yeah we just absolutely like incredible experience I like don't even really know how to put it into words it was so like it was so um it really opened my eyes to like the different ways people can live because up until that point I'd only been living in a certain way and I didn't really know there was this other way that people actually like that your way is just one way (laughs) of like living that sounds kind of obvious but like if you take it to extremes people can live in like all sorts of incredible ways and it's not necessarily the case that the way you're living now is either correct or the best way. So that I think was one thing that really opened my eyes. Yeah. I, I have a full-time job and study in the evenings, but yeah. I, um, I'm really kind of like dedicated to fitness and well-being as well. And after I've had like a full-on day, I'll always try to, well, get to a yoga class. And as soon as I do and get on the mat, it's just such a great feeling. I kind of feel like what well, I really... Um, really just value the time of like winding down and having like an hour to myself in the dark how would you say yoga has kind of like changed your life or um you know just you know your day-to-day life yeah I think like it probably isn't an exaggeration to say that it has changed my life I think it has been something that's been so transformational and I think now being a teacher it feels very different to how it felt when I was when I first found it and I first like really connected to it but um like I said when I um I'd always kind of been interested in like spirituality and and kind of taking spirituality to its extremes was like one of my interests for some unknown reason um so really like when I found yoga I thought um like I couldn't believe that it connected um, all this philosophy and the spirituality that I've been really interested in from lots of different traditions, like the Hindu tradition and also the Buddhist tradition and just learning about like the background to it and kind of the roots of the spiritual um, development of yoga as a practice. But it also connected that to like the physical body, which is something that I had obviously been um, like as a kid, did lots of like dance and um, trained in like swimming and stuff like that. And it had always been like a very, like connected to my body, but I'd never really connected it to also like the spiritual side of things and connecting the body and the mind and the soul like together. And yoga for me was just like mind changing because I'd never experienced a, a physical discipline that also had this like philosophical or spiritual element to it as well. 
and I just became like completely obsessed with like learning the spiritual traditions behind it and also learning what that meant in the body and like working with certain emotions and like sensations and philosophies like within the actual human body um and I practiced yoga for years and years and years like every day um and then I did my teacher training um in like 2017 I think no 2016 yeah and then I started to teach and like to be honest teaching is a little bit different like it doesn't for me teaching is more like it's an it's an opportunity to give that experience to other people but I think it like to some extent it took it a little bit like it took the magic a little bit away from me because now every time I go to a class it's very difficult to disassociate like the teaching perspective I normally go to a class and think like oh I could teach that like um just think about that later or like sequence something in my head so you know I've spoken to a lot of yoga teachers about this and they say it comes in waves you know you have years where you're kind of just like I'm just in a teaching mindset and years where you like rediscover the magic of the practice but I think yoga as a discipline is just so incredible like I just have so much respect for it and it really did change the perception of like how I felt as a human being and it comes back to this idea of being like unified or integrated because like the actual word yoga means like to yoke or to kind of like connect or bring together or, like bring things sort of uh weave like back together um or like union or unity these kind of ideas and it's this idea of like connecting your body and your mind and your soul like together and realizing that that essence is like you know also present in everyone else and so when you think about it i know everyone just practices it like a lot of people practice it now because it's kind of like you know, a good stretch and it makes you feel really good and and maybe it like calms your mind and all of those things are incredible. But it's actually, when you think about the message at the heart of yoga is like fundamentally transformative in terms of like how you think about your world and yourself and other people. So do you think that mindfulness and meditation is a little bit different? Have, have those kind of things impacted your life differently or? Yeah, you from yoga. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think mindfulness and meditation are also incredible. Um, for me, I'm like, I think because I'm quite a sort of, um, I have a lot of like energy in my, <laughs> like a lot of nervous energy, like in my body. And it sometimes manifests as anxiety or like just really high adrenaline I'll often have in my body. So I find like moving meditation, sort of like yoga, yo- yoga practices where you get a lot of that like actual physical energy out of your body or you work with it in a certain way and then you can come to your meditation practice that's always worked the best for me I find it quite difficult to just sit and kind of like get immediately into the space of wanting to meditate um and yeah that that I guess was one of the interesting things about like sort of experiencing the monastic tradition is that you get a lot of spirituality a lot of like quiet a lot of um sort of being in your body but you don't necessarily get like the sort of physicality of the of something like yoga for example where you're actually working with like a lot of energy first and then you come to a more like quiet or disciplined kind of like prayerful or meditative practice so so what does the second half of 2020 hold for you probably more of the same (laughs) I feel like no one's gonna have an exciting answer to that at the moment because it's so hard to like plan anything or like do anything because you're just like oh like everything's a little bit uncertain 
Um, but I am working on another book at the moment, so hopefully that will like come to fruition or like start to take a more tangible shape in the rest of the year. Um, and yeah, like a few other projects and things are coming up. But um, yeah, otherwise, just more more of a second book sounds really exciting. What's do, can you tell us what it's about? Um, yeah, well, broadly, it is going to be about um, purpose. So it's kind of like uh, finding your purpose and it will be similar. It will be in a similar style to um, the junior lawyer's handbook in, in that it will be more like a little handbook to figure out what your purpose is. So not just me being like, this is your purpose, but more just like a toolkit of things that you might use to navigate the question uh, of purpose and meaning and kind of where your life is going and how to think about that. But. Cool. Hmm. So how can people get um, a hold of your, your handbook? toolkit yeah it is available on the internet in many different places like you can just get it on amazon or you can get it from the law society uh bookshop um there should be a discount code coming out soon for the law society and so i always post those up on my instagram when they come out so if you um want to dm me on instagram i can keep you updated um and the other thing is if you are, um, we can obviously order it from like any bookshop, so like Waterstones or WH Smith or whatever. Um, if you are someone who is at law school, you can petition your uh, law library to get a copy and then just like read it yourself. <laughs> um, but they normally will, like if you ask your law, law library, they'll normally get a hold of one for you. Um, same if you're at like the University of Law, they have a couple in their library, so you should be able to get a hold of that or like some similar um, law school or yeah even if you're at like sixth form or something and you're thinking about university for law like it might be something that your library will uh, get a copy for for you so I wouldn't say that you always need to get it yourself um but that because it is a book that's kind of like helping in terms of your personal development you can definitely make a good pitch to get to make a to make a, a firm or a law school or a law <laughs> library pay for it for you fantastic well we put um we put a link to your instagram and um, well, so people can DM you maybe and then a link to where they can get the book um, in the show notes for this episode so anybody that wants to read it can um, find it easily but yeah thank you so much for, for joining us today you've, uh, you've provided some absolutely fantastic advice to hear more of the student lawyers podcast hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join The Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. We'd like to thank Felix Knight for producing this podcast today. Thank you.